qualifying hopes are alive and well once again. Unfortunately, the U.S.'s chances of reaching their first Olympics since 2008 have vanished in the Texas air. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsev, and it is a beautiful Friday here in New Jersey. TGIF is in full effect. My apologies for not getting the show out sooner. I had some technical difficulties and a lot of other stuff going on, but we have a show. If you're listening to it right now, you know we have a show, and we'll try to cover everything that's going on, everything that's gone on. You have the U.S. national team's big win against Guatemala, the U.S. under-23 team's tough loss to Colombia, and then, of course, this weekend, MLS is back in full effect, back in action, and NASL starts its new season, kicking things off on Saturday. We'll have all of those covered. We got some special guests on the show to, to break it all down for us. First things first, I have to start off with the U.S. national team's 4-0 victory against Guatemala. A big win for the Americans and a big win for Jurgen Klinsmann after that ugly 2-0 loss down in Guatemala. And it was the, the kind of match the U.S. needed and the kind of match that, frankly, we haven't seen in a while from the U.S. team. A performance that, that showed all the fight and determination and organization that we used to see from U.S. teams a lot more consistently, but we don't see as often, uh, or at least haven't seen as often in, the say, the past year uh, from this team. But now they stepped up once again in Columbus, a place that has always been uh, a good place to play, a great place to play. The atmosphere was outstanding on Tuesday. I was there at Matt Priest Stadium, and, and the fans brought it once again. I've been to so many games there, all the Mexico-USA games, uh, the Jamaica qualifier there. MLS Cup in December, you name it. There's always great crowds there. Always an amazing atmosphere. And I have to tell you, I really think the American team fed off of that from the opening whistle. And you could tell from minute one that they set out to smother uh, Guatemala. And that's what they did. They played really well. And and, and across the board, uh, from the veterans like Clint Dempsey and Michael Bradley and Jeff Cameron and Kyle Beckerman, uh, to some newer faces uh, like a Steve Birnbaum, who I thought played well. Edgar Castillo back in the mix. Uh, continuing to see, keep himself in that conversation. Uh, you name it, and the U.S. did it on that day. They finished chances. Jassy Zardes with his uh, uh, unintentional assist and his, uh, again, you know, we well, we can talk about the, the his touches and how he needs work still. But you know what? He helped make two goals happen. So that's a that's still a big, big one for the U.S. Uh, there's just so many positives to talk about. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing I have to say. I'll give credit to Jurgen Klinsmann because... You know what? He put out a lineup that could win a game. He put out put out a lineup that didn't have as many question marks as the one on Friday. And uh, even the one question mark that maybe anyone could have said they saw in the lineup, uh, Graham Zussi instead of Darlington Nagby, even that one worked out for, for Klinsman. Uh, Zussi had himself a solid game, scored the third goal. Uh, so and he, he looked the part. He looked like he was ready to play. I know a lot of people have written Graham Zussi off because over the past year he hasn't shown as much. Um, you know, the over the past couple of years at the World Cup, the, it, I think the, there's there seems to be some some split on how people perceived Zussi's World Cup. Uh, but the fact is, you know, last year he wasn't healthy. Uh, he he had some injuries. Now he seems healthy. He's been a big part of Sporting Kansas City's three and zero start. 
And he looked good against Guatemala. So I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think he's done enough to keep himself in the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and and some other players impressed as well. Steve Birnbaum. How about him getting thrown into there uh, when you have you know Omar Gonzalez uh, struggle down in Guatemala and, and Klinsman called on called on on Birnbaum, Birnbaum and he he did the job. He did the job as did so many American players. DeAndre Edlin at right back. He looked he looked completely comfortable there. I think that needs to be the job. I think he needs to keep that job. For me, I think I think when you look at the other options there and you consider the idea that you really want to keep Fabian Johnson in the midfield, then you need to you need to develop Yedlin. You need to play him at right back, give him games, give him the confidence. And as long as he continues to play at Sunderland, I mean I don't see any reason why we can't project Yedlin to be the right back for the foreseeable future. So uh, so many positives overall, um, and I gotta say it was pretty crazy how how much fear there was in the U.S. fan base about this game. And I get on one level, I get it right because they look so bad in Guatemala that it was just kind of that idea that well, what's going to change? Could we have the same thing happen here here in the U.S.? And I really just never saw that happening. I mean, uh, you know, those of you those of you who listened to the last episode, I, I said, man, this is it's not they're going to win comfortably. I, I actually had a three zero. Um, and it's just different when you come here as opposed to playing down in Guatemala and you have, you have, in your Guatemala, you have your fan support. Um, and I think we saw a bit, a bit more of what Guatemala really is about. I mean, I think they played their game. They played the game of their lives last Friday and the U S really did not play well. You take that combination. That's how you got that shock result this time around the U S played to their potential. Guatemala came low, came down lower to their norm. What is their real level? And then we saw what we saw, which was the blowout. So, uh, uh, now the U.S. is in pretty comfortable shape now. They they have two qualifiers left, one against Trinidad and Tobago at home, one against Antigua. Uh, I'm sorry, one against St. Vincent and the Grenadines uh, down in the Caribbean, and there's absolutely no reason to think that the U.S. can't get the points they need out of those to go on to the hex. So they haven't clinched yet, but it's a safe bet at this point, given the matches left, that they will make it to the hex once again. Uh, so, yeah, positives all around. U.S. fans have a lot to be happy about and a lot to be proud of because i tell you what, the U.S. fans that were at Maffrey Stadium definitely created a great atmosphere once again. I don't know about the DJ music. I don't know about the super loud uh, PA going on there. That, I thought, was a bit much. I didn't think we needed that. I think the fans bring the... I think the U.S. fans bring the atmosphere for those type of big games. I don't think you need to pump in or pipe in super loud music. As much as I love the music, as much as I, I love the DJ... His choices, I like it's it's definitely in my wheelhouse for what I like to listen to, but not on not having it on eleven, blaring in the stadium before the game. I mean, I tell you what, I thought the players were gonna run up and like knock the DJ booth over because I got the sense that they didn't they weren't crazy about it. And uh, it's pretty funny because I can think of so many times that I've traveled to the Caribbean or Central America, and, and you've had this, you know, you've had these blaring speakers. Pumping out whether it's reggae music if you're in the Caribbean or it's uh, you know Spanish music if you're in Central America, and I and I always came away thinking, man, what is wrong with these people? Like this is this this isn't necessarily a great atmosphere. Some places do it well, some places pull it off completely, but we can never make fun of any of those places again after that display. And hopefully, someone listened to that and said, you know what? Yeah, maybe we don't need this super 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 loud music going on before the game. I don't know if that's the old man in me talking or what. I'm being the grumpy old man, but I don't I definitely wasn't alone in feeling like it was a bit overdone. So if there was any negatives at all about opening uh, about the match in Guatemala, that's probably it. The 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 whole pre-game DJ thing was a little much. But hey, you know what? 
if you're a U.S. fan, you'll take that if that's the only negative, the only drawback. So uh, moving on now to the U.S. under-23 team. They had a lot more to worry about than loud music in the PA system. They were thoroughly outplayed, overrun, dominated by Colombia in the second leg of their Olympic playoff. And you know what? Is anyone really surprised? We all watched the first leg. We all saw Colombia have more of the chances, have more of the ball, have more of the play. And credit to the U.S., they grinded out a result. But it had to, there had to be a different approach in the second leg, and it just wasn't. We just didn't see anything different. We did not see the U.S. step up. We did not see anyone for the American team really impose themselves on the match. At the end of the day, we got Colombia just dominating, imposing their will on American soil. Like, if this, you're at home. You're at home. You need to you need to play better than this U.S. team played, flat out. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. And, I, I mean, I don't, the defense obviously had its breakdowns. Kellen Acosta, I mean, I, I, I've always rated him as a player. I just don't know if he's a fullback. or I don't know if he's a fullback. I think he's a midfielder. Um, he definitely struggled in this in this series, both legs. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that real questions there. But for me, the bigger surprise was the midfield. I thought the U.S. midfield would be better would be better in this tournament. I thought I thought they they would really make their mark in this tournament. Uh, uh, you know, Emerson Hindman, Will Trap, Luis Gill. I really thought they would come together, and it, and it just didn't it just didn't work. It just didn't they didn't they weren't able to get a hold of the game. And that's the unfortunate part. And no, it's not about people who weren't there. I don't want to hear anyone else talk about Gideon's LLM and how he would have been. He would not have made the difference in this one at all. These were the better options, and they didn't get the job done. I mean, I get look, Andy Herzog. He even put Paul Ariola in for this second leg, and 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 he and he couldn't really do much. Jordan Morris was worn out. I mean, it was pretty clear to see. And you have to wonder how much he's feeling the effects now of being on the whole pro club slash international hamster wheel and having to play more games in a short amount of time and more intense games than he's played in his entire life i mean it's it's college soccer it does not prepare you for this grind so i wonder how much he's feeling that right now how much he's feeling having played you know friendlies in january uh concave champions league uh with seattle then that seattle season then the olympic qualify it's a lot it's a lot and you know what i don't know what's gonna feel bad for the guy he, he turned pro. He signed the contract. He's the highest paid homegrown player in MLS history. He's got to, you know what? Suck it up. That's what you signed up for. Uh, but you know what? I don't hear him complaining. I'm just making the point that he looks tired. And if you're Siggy Schmidt, maybe you need to give him a little bit of a break uh, just to get him back kind of in, in a rhythm because he he, he did, as much as he gave, he gave effort, I mean, definitely in the first leg, he just didn't look like the Jordan Morris we've seen before. So... Uh, that one bears watching. But by no means was Jordan Morris the guy to blame for this team not qualifying for the Olympics. But if you put if you make a list together, if you make a list of the reasons, he's nowhere near the top of that list or even the middle for my money. I mean, I thought the midfield didn't do well enough. I thought the defense didn't do well enough. Uh, Matt Miazga, man, talk about a guy who, you know, a lot was expected of him. But at the same time, are we surprised that a player who has not played since last year struggles in this game in a game like this going up against attackers who have played who have played a lot more recently and i made i tweeted out something that i think some people kind of maybe quite didn't understand where i was coming from or took offense or whatever it was but i may i tweeted that you know what i can't help but wonder how miazga would have played if he hadn't transferred to chelsea and it's not to say or suggest or recommend that he shouldn't have gone to chelsea the point was if he had stayed with the red bulls he, I think he would have played better in this tournament. And you know what? Maybe the U.S. wins this tournament. 
now or in the in the playoff maybe he does better in the playoffs and maybe the u.s does better but you know what who knows and it's not all on miaska but there is something to be said for the fact that he has gone to chelsea he is not playing games he hasn't played since last year if he were with the red bulls he would be playing games he would have played three games he would have been a starter he would have had that under his belt he probably would be you know more match fit he he had issues in both of these games i mean if you looked at matt miaska and tim parker and you showed them to, to someone who had no idea who they were, I don't know, they, would they necessarily be able to say, oh, yeah, that is the guy who signed with Chelsea? How would you really know? I, for me, over the course of the two games, Parker was the better player. And part of the reason is Parker's playing games for the White, Vancouver Whitecaps. Matt Miaska sitting on a bench collecting a very big paycheck for Chelsea. And I don't begrudge him for making that decision. Uh, let's just that be clear about that. If Chelsea comes calling and there's a $5 million bid on the table and they're offering you life-changing money, uh, you know what? You have to consider it. For me, and I've said this before, I would, I just would like to have seen Chelsea and the Red Bulls work something out so that Miazga could have stayed with the Red Bulls in 2016 so he could get another year under his belt playing. And it's really unfortunate that that wasn't something that was able to have been worked out because I think it would have helped all parties involved. Now... You're Chelsea. You have this kid who you're not playing, who like who who knows what his future is at the club, uh, and it, I mean it's a dimi- it's a diminishing uh, it's a diminishing uh, commodity that you have now with this player, this young player, because he's not playing. You need to go find him somewhere to go this summer. But I don't know. I think it was a missed opportunity there, and I think it cost the U23 team. But again, that's not the only part of the whole puzzle. There was so many factors in here. And how about Andy Herzog? I can't say I've heard anyone talk about Andy Herzog and how much of this is his fault. He's got to take some of the blame here. I absolutely think so because you know what? There was talent in this pool. There was talent in this pool, and they should have taken care of business in the qualifying tournament back in October when they lost to, when they lost to Honduras. And and you know what? Andy Herzog at a certain point has to answer for the fact that this U.S. team had no answers for 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 Colombia over two legs. And what I find very interesting is the fact I don't hear anyone going after Andy Herzog anywhere near the way people went after Caleb Porter in 2012. Uh, Caleb Porter was lambasted after he lost, after his team didn't qualify. I mean, he was ridiculed, ostracized, hit rock bottom. And look, you know what? It's part of the job, right? You're a coach. You don't do what you're you're, you're hired to do. You're going to get criticism. No one's saying Caleb Porter shouldn't have got criticism. But I do find it interesting that as much as as much as he has as much flack as Caleb Porter took, I feel like Andy Herzog skating. He's skating right now. He's skating. He needs to take some of the criticism as well. He needs he needs to feel some heat. And if you're Jurgen Klinsmann, ask yourself: You know what? Is this my fault? Did I put him in a position to lose? Uh, in a position to fail because maybe Andy Herzog just isn't a good coach. Maybe he's not a head coach. Maybe. You know, it's interesting. But you know what? He needs to shoulder some of the blame here because he picked these lineups. And it didn't work out. Um, so, you know what? We'll see. It's unfortunate. Uh, for me, one of the big issues continues to be the fact that we aren't seeing MLS players from in the 17 to 21 age range getting consistent playing time in MLS and getting opportunities to get consistent playing time in MLS. And that isn't to say you you should force MLS teams to play players that young. The bigger point is MLS needs to do a better job of developing more players that, that are good enough at that age to play. And we don't see enough of that. And that is a failure of the academy system. For every Matt Miazga, there are however many other kids who don't make the grade, who aren't good enough to play 
first team soccer. And that is really what the league needs. It needs its teams to start producing players who are ready at an earlier age. And you need more teams doing it because it can't all be the FC Dallas and the Red Bulls of the world that produce all of the uh, the real, truly pro-ready players in this league. And, and, and until that happens, you're not going to get a strong enough player pool to guarantee qualification in Olympic qualifying. And, that, and for me, I think that's a big, big issue. That was an issue in 2012. That was an issue this time around. And you know what? I think it's going to be an issue four years from now. Because I'll tell you what, four years from now, Cameron Carter-Vickers, J- uh, uh, Gideon Zellalim, uh Christian Pulisic, they'll all be age eligible for the next Olympic qualifying cycle. But guess what? More than likely, none of them will be al- will be available in for the Olympic qualifying tournament. And guess who do you have to turn to at that point? MLS players. And guess what? Those, those young MLS players, there just aren't enough of them. There just aren't enough of them. So we could have this happen all over again. Unless MLS academies step their game up, unless MLS, MLS teams start producing younger talent, and until MLS teams start giving those younger players opportunities with the first team. So we'll see if that changes. And uh, hopefully it does, because you know what? It'd be great in my lifetime to see the U.S. in the Olympics again. It feels like forever ago when Josie Altador uh, and, and, and Michael Bradley and that group uh, played in, in Beijing. And say what you want about how far that team went and this and that. It's still a a huge experience that had to help all those guys uh, going on in their career. Because when you have that experience playing in the Olympics, it helps you. It helps you as you move on as a player. For the second uh, cycle in a row, we have a group of players who won't get to experience that. And that's flat out disappointing. And it shouldn't be happening. So... Get off the soapbox now and move on to MLS. Week 5 is ready to kick off Friday night. New England Revolution take on the New York Red Bulls. And, of course, we had to bring my main man, Paul Tenorio, back on to talk. MLS uh, international break has come and gone, and now we're back to the action. Paul, how you doing? I'm okay. You know, surprisingly, I survived an international break with almost no MLS. It's amazing that if you take a break, everything works out okay. Well, I'm sure it didn't hurt that Costa Rica rolled. I'm sure you had your Tico jersey on and you were going pretty crazy. They they look they look good against Jamaica. I can neither confirm nor deny whether I even own a Costa Rica jersey, <laughs> all right? <laughs> all right, I'm pretty sure there's a Tenorio jersey uh, floating, or floating around somewhere. But uh but yeah, we'll, what do you got? What do you got? No, I'm just saying, yeah, they look good. But look look how many Costa Ricans are in MLS now and thriving and doing well. I mean, I think that's that's um something to be said about that. I think people are looking at Costa Rica as a place to go find players on a good price that produce in this league and we're seeing more and more of them come over and having impact. So No, for sure. Matarita's looking great already, obviously. Uh, we saw I know you saw that one. Saw that one coming. Um No doubt. We'll uh, so yeah, kick things off right away. Week five, New England, New York Red Bulls. Up at Gillette. New England doesn't have a win yet. The Red Bulls got their first win before the break. Uh, What do you see in this one? You know, I'm really intrigued to watch this game because I don't know what to expect from New England yet. You know, like I feel like this is one of the teams that I'm still trying to figure out because I feel like they're so good going forward. um, And yet they, they haven't gotten the results yet. And... Um, I think obviously the Red Bulls have a lot of issues in the back line right now with the injuries they've had at center back. So um, I I think this is a game where being at home and with that matchup right there between a a vulnerable back line in New York and and the attacking prowess of New England, that this is where maybe New England finally breaks through with that first win. Um, But, you know, this again, this is a team I'm still trying to figure out. Right. I'll tell you what, I think the, the, the tie they were able to get at Yankee Stadium was big for them uh, to go down a man and still get a point on the road. 
uh, I thought that that was a bit of a statement uh, result for them. And, and, and even though it wasn't a win, it might give them a little momentum going into this one. Now, if you're the Red Bulls, you had that huge win against Houston before the break. You had, a, you had a week off. You had a chance to regroup and, and, and figure some things out defensively. It is the big question mark. How will their defense look? I, uh, Zubar and Ba both injured. I know they had Amobia Kugo on trial, uh, which you know is interesting. I think he'd be a great pickup for them. Um, so we'll see how that defense pieces together. I like New England in this one. I agree with you. I think I think their attack is gonna is gonna cause some problems. Uh, Charlie Davies might get himself a double. For his, for his, I believe he has twins, right? He had twins, so a double. Yeah. For, he'll have two goals for his two twins. How perfect would that be? I think we could see that. Moving on to the first game on Saturday, the game you'll be at. You'll be on the sidelines for Chicago Fire, Philadelphia Union. The Chicago Fire still trying to find themselves offensively. They're coming together a little bit defensively. Now they take on Union Union team that I really like. I think that I think what they've done with that team, the way they're playing, uh, I tell you, I think the Fire could be in trouble. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I've watched a lot of film on the Union in the last few days. They, they've looked very good. I think CJ Sapong has been phenomenal early in the season, more than just a handful that he usually is athletically. I think that he causes all sorts of problems. His hold-up play is just, I, I don't know, maybe you know one of the best in the league, period. He, he can hold things up and allow Philadelphia to, to get involved more and play against Columbus, for example, where they didn't have a lot of the ball. Um, I, I think that they uh, they certainly I think Warren Cravel has been really, really good early in the season. So um, a lot of bright things out of Philadelphia early on. I'm interested to see what happens in this game. No David Akam again for Chicago Fire. That just is a crushing loss for them. Um, but one thing I noticed, you know, Keegan Rosenberry, he's played very well. Um, but he, you know, he has a tendency to sometimes get lost positionally, defensively. Um, so it could be a really intriguing matchup between the number three overall pick and the number four overall pick, Brandon Vincent and Keegan Rosenberry, outside backs. If Brandon Vincent is able to get forward a little bit, he can take advantage of that space uh, that, that Rosenberry kind of vacates a little bit too often for my liking. Um, and I think that that overlap is going to be something to keep an eye on all day. But with Noah Com, I think it's it's going to be tough to find the goals for the fire. So um, we'll see. We'll see if the Union can keep this hot streak going on to the start of the season. You know, how for real is this team going to be? Because they've had some really, really good results so far. Right. I, I think they're. I think they're for real. And and the, for me, the issue which is Chicago. No, even with the com, you know, their 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 attack is is a little inconsistent. But without them, I just don't know where the attack, the offense is going to come from. Brandon Vincent, I think I I, I feel like he's still kind of learning or trying to understand how to play in the role that 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 uh, Ponovich wants him to play in. He's not really a you know a wide like he's not really a winger. He's a fullback in a, like a four man defense. He's a, he's good getting uh, getting forward from there. But uh, I, I think Rosenberry's been better of the two so far, and I think part of that is because he's playing a role that he's obviously more familiar with. He understands, uh, but that that will be that will be a good battle uh, for me. Uh, Andre Blake, I want to see what kind of show he puts on if he has to put a show on at all. Because I mean I don't know if the Fire are going to get many chances in this one. I don't. I don't see them scoring. I think the Union posts another shutout uh, and get themselves a pretty important road win. Uh, moving on to the Colorado Rapids TFC, Colorado making all sorts of headlines. T- signing Tim Howard, Jermaine Jones uh, brought in recently, uh, but they had to be a little disappointed with the draw before the break against DC United. They take on a TFC team that is still <clears throat> still on their road trip. All the new additions, uh, but we all know playing in the altitude is always tough. How do you see this one? Yeah, you know, it's the one factor that you can't really decide. Like, how is TFC going to adapt to this? And, and obviously, I think coming off of a break, 
Um, guys work on their fitness, but you got guys also coming back from national team duty. I, I think that Colorado um, is a team that you know I think too often plays for kind of plays safe. Um, I think that TFC is going to find a way to get a goal here. I, I see a one nothing win for Toronto on the road and a tough place to play against. You know, a Colorado team that I think is going to be better this year, as we've talked about once once Jermaine and and Tim Howard are in there full time. Well, I think this is definitely lining up to be an ugly one because, like you said, Colorado is not the most, at least early on, they haven't been the most ambitious team offensively. They're they're playing a TFC team that uh, clearly the mandate from Greg Vanny has been, we have this long road stretch. We're going to go for the defendant counter approach, which is fine. I know there's been criticisms about, oh, you know, you're not playing a more attractive style. You're not, you know, why aren't we, you know, attacking more? I know TFC fans complain about it, but... There's nothing wrong with wanting to, if you have to go on a road trip like this, there's nothing wrong with kind of taking that kind of approach of being a de- the de- defense first approach when you're on the road. That's like, that's standard everywhere, really, unless you have Barcelona and you can attack anywhere you go. Um, but I think in this one, it'll be interesting to see who opens up first, who gets comes out of their shell a bit first. The Raptors, they're at home. They should do it. Uh, but I tell you what, TFC with Jovinko, Jovinko's going to be a handful for the Raptors. Their defense, I think, is pretty slow, so... Uh, I always hate picking so many road teams to win because that's like a recipe for disaster in MLS. But I'm going to have to go TFC in this one. I think they win. Uh, I think they roll, actually, in this one. And now moving on to the next one, one of the best matches of the weekend. could Arguably could be the best match of the weekend, uh, although there's some absences that hurt it. Sporting Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, KC, perfect team, uh, 3-0. RSL hasn't lost yet. RSL's missing some key players in Olave and Beckerman, but KC's also missing Matt Beasler. How do you see this one shaking out? I think that Sporting Kansas City gets the win. Look, rivalry games are so tough to predict, and this is definitely one of those games that falls into that rivalry category. I think losing Beckerman especially, and obviously Olave as well, but Beckerman in the middle there, whenever you take a player like that out of the middle of the field for Real Salt Lake, it's a different team. It's a di- they, they function differently. He's such an important piece on whatever team he plays for. I mean, look at the impact he had for the national team on Tuesday. Um, on the flip side, I think... Uh, Phil Haber is supposed to play. Uh, Zussi has been playing well. I, I think Sporting Kansas City holds court at home, gets another win, goes to 4-0, you know, solidifies itself as the top dog in MLS right now early in the season. They, I really like the way they've been playing, and they've got some really strong results. So uh, I'm going to go with Sporting Kansas City at home with this one. No, I agree. I mean, it's tough. You, so when you lose a Beckerman, that's that's huge. But then to lose Alave, Hamas Alave got a red card in the Portland game. Uh, they just don't have that depth defensively. And and, he, and even though Olave isn't what he used to be, he's still better than what they have. They're going to miss him quite a bit. As far as KC, getting Phil Harbour back is obviously huge if he, if he does start. And we got to talk about this real quick. I bet he Phil Harbour, he, get, he, gets the, he gets the award on this Friday for, for the, the, the comedy award, for the comic relief award for uh, wearing a Jurgen Klinsmann jersey. A Jurgen Klinsmann Germany jersey. They, they, uh, Sporting KC has these jersey days where all their players wear random sports jerseys. A lot of them usually play, usually wear soccer jerseys. Benny Felhaber trots out the Jurgen Klinsmann Germany jersey. Hats off. He gets the round of applause for that one. Hilarious. But back to the result here. Sporting KC, I think they cruise even without Beisler. Nuno Coelho has been great for them. And I think he'll yep. be great again. Uh, Jao Plata, I think it's pretty clear Peter Vermees is going to go after trying to lock him in because Jao Plata has been really kind of the, the, the X factor that, that's been so tough to deal with for this RSL team. I think KC locks down Plata and they roll to the victory. Next up, we have FC Dallas, Columbus Crew, which is for me, actually, I think it's the game of the week. Even though Columbus hasn't won a game yet, they're still who they are. They're still a very good team. But going to Dallas to get your first win, 
not exactly easy. What do you see happening here? Yeah, not not ideal for them. They're, they're under pressure to get a, get a result. And I think we're seeing teams that have sat back against them a lot. And um, whether it's Portland that can play so well through the counter and get a win in the opening game, or Philadelphia and Chicago, which decided to sit back a little bit more um, and just go ahead and concede possession and try to get out of there with a shutout, um, I, I don't think you're going to see Dallas play that way. Um, just not their nature. Uh, they can counter, but you know, at home they're going to want to play. Um, and I think that's going to help Columbus. Watching them closely over the last couple of weeks, I think Columbus has been very, very close on a lot of occasions to, to having results that are drastically different than what they've had. Watching the Philadelphia game, the number of times Columbus was – was a little touch away or a pass away or just off on the shot was just incredible. I mean, they could have had five, six goals in that game where I think last year in the similar situations, they would have put those goals away. So I think it's one of those things where um, maybe this is one of the results you don't see coming. And we are picking a lot of away teams here, but I have a feeling this is one of those floodgate games where, you know, they just finally get something to go their way and they get, um, two or three goals. Maybe it's a 2-1 game on the road against Dallas. That's a tough result to call, but I think that they've just been so close. i got to give them a chance to break through, and I think you know this is an unlikely thing, but that's MLS. I think they break through here in Dallas. Right, for sure. They, they definitely have a chance, and I agree. They, they, along with Seattle, have, looked, have played better than the results suggest. Uh, what I love about this match, there are some juicy matchups in this game. I mean, when you talk about Trap and Shiny against Mauro Diaz, uh, you, the, full, the the crew fullbacks against the FC Dallas wingers, uh, Matt Hedges against Kai Kamara. I mean, you name it, it has it. This this game, forget the record, forget Columbus not having a win. This game is going to be great, and you, and and both coaches are gonna. Uh, it's gonna be a, a nice tactical chess match as well. Uh, uh, picking, I, it's tough to go against Dallas at home. Uh, I, I'm gonna go draw. I'm gonna go draw because I agree with you. I think the crew coming off the break. They're going to show more of what we expected from them. Because I had them as the Supporters supporter Shield winners, yep. and they're not making me look too good right now. Um, <laughs> but I, I think they'll get a point. I think it'll be a draw. And I, and I think both I think they'll be happy with that. Because you get a draw in Dallas, that's nothing to, nothing to sneeze at there. So uh, that's going to be a fun one to watch for sure. Everyone should try to watch that one. Uh, next up, Vancouver, L.A. Big news out of L.A. this week. Robbie Keane is out up to six weeks with, with knee surgery. Big blow for them, obviously. Their attack, he's so key to their attack. Now, now they go up against the Vancouver penalty kick winners who have gotten a penalty kick seemingly every game. Uh, credit to Carl Robinson. They're getting the results, getting some some fortune their way, but they are earning, They are getting the results. How do you see this one going? You know, I, I think that losing Robbie Keane, the injury issues that they have, they just keep piling up and piling up and piling up for L.A. I, I don't see them being able to get into a rhythm with everything that's going on on the road in Vancouver. Like you said, not like Vancouver's had the strongest results where it's like, oh, wow, you know, they're, they're, they're playing guys off the field or anything. But this is a team, I think, that knows how to get results. That's important. They're going to be at home. And I think there's going to be a level of a mental, uh, a mental blow to losing Robbie Keane for four to six months. Who's going to step up and, and take his place on the field as a leader? I'm going to go ahead and lean to Vancouver winning this game 2-0. I just think, um, you know, I, I think they've got the pieces to do it. And I don't think they'll get another penalty kick, by the way. I think it'll be two goals to the run of play. That's my big prediction for this game. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I have a feeling a memo has been sent down from on high. Because, look, let's face it, the penalty they got last week, they shouldn't have got. I mean, it already, there was, mm-hmm. you know, the the kudo, the forward was suspended. The suspension for, comes through. Yeah, suspended that's... for the dive. That doesn't really help Houston much, right? Because they didn't get they, – they still lose the game. 
Um, but I think, you know what, Vancouver at home, they open it up. They tend to open it up more. Last year's playoffs aside, they tend to open it up more. L.A. is, I feel, a little vulnerable, obviously, to have a week off. The thing is with L.A., though, Bruce Arena, usually when he's shorthanded and he's missing guys, he finds a way. He finds He MacGyvers it. He MacGyvers his lineup. Put, puts you know puts brings in some young guys and he finds a way to get a result. I think that's going to be tough though here. I think Vancouver. I think they're primed to get that win, and I think they. I think they need to kind of prove them. I think they need to prove themselves, even though they've gotten results. They've got some some fortunate calls their way, but I think this one, this is going to be a statement victory for them. A young team that needs a victory like that. I go Vancouver. I think they win comfortably two zero, but it, it it should be a good game. Another one of the really good games this week. Moving on now, staying in Cascadia, Seattle Sounders. Montreal Impact, the Sounders searching for their first win still, first point. The Siggy Schmidt uh, death watch is, is, is going on right now in Seattle. Uh, do, you see, do you see the slump ending? Do you see the Sounders figuring out and getting that first win? Yes. Yes, I do. I think this is where the win comes. I, Montreal's played very well early in the season. Um, you know, obviously... I think that, like we, like you alluded to earlier, Seattle's played much better than the results that they've had this year. They need the goals to come. Um, and again, I think this is another instance with Columbus where you you have that first goal that kind of breaks open the floodgates, and then you stop thinking about that first goal, and and the rest of it is there already. The connections are there. Um, obviously, they're probably going to have to go out and find a playmaker um, for the whole over the course of the whole season. But I think um, you get a goal early on at home. It eases the pressure. And I think they go ahead and, and cruise to a win in this one. I actually think this could end up being like a 3-1 result, despite the fact I really like Montreal, by the way. I really like the way Harry Ship has fit in on that team. I think that they are a much better team than a lot of people gave them credit for, considering Drogba took so much of the attention last year. They've showed early in this season that they're a very good team. I just think they're coming up against the wrong team at the wrong time. Seattle needs a result. They're going to be at home. They're going to get a big win. I think Seattle wins. I just don't know if it's going to be a big win. I think Seattle... Uh, they have some questions there. Their attack, Ivanchis is hurt. Uh, Jordan Morris, I, w- I wonder how much he has left in the tank after the U23s. Clint Dempsey just played Tuesday. I think they'll win. I think they'll rally. Uh, I just And also, Montreal's defense is very tough. Montreal's defense is pretty tough to break down. So whatever happens with their attack, uh, I think it's going to be a close game, but I go with Seattle. I agree with you. I think Seattle That's a good point, game. though. Morris, Morris looked tired yeah, for he the was, 23s. He was, he was struggling, struggling. And yeah, that's the thing people don't like, need to think about is like, you know, he's used to that college grind, right? And the college mm-hmm. grind is not the pro grind. And now he's on the pro slash international grind. So that's a it's a whole nother level. He's you know what? Maybe if you're if you're C. Schmidt, maybe you rest him. Although it's tough because they already have these injuries. They're missing Brad Evans, they're missing uh, Roman Torres hasn't come back yet. If Anschitz gets hurt, like who do you who do you throw in uh to play hey. so that that it, so you might have to play, you might have to toughen it up, but guess what? That's why he's making the big bucks. He's making yep. Biggest salary, biggest homegrown salary in league history. So we'll see if he can step up here. I think that Seattle steps up. Clint Dempsey does his thing, and they get a win. Moving on, we have two more matches to go. San Jose, DC United. No one expects this one to be a pretty one, but it should be a it should be a tough one. Uh, San Jose, I think I think they'll cruise. They're at home. DC United. I say it every week. I think they're just not a good team. Steve Birnbaum, though, credit to him. He did well. He did well for the U.S. Uh, big game for him. Maybe he'll come back, give them some confidence with him returning. But it's going to be tough to win in San Jose. I think San Jose cruises. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, add in a cross-country trip into the mix here, obviously. Um, I think it's a long way to go. They have not looked very good at all. Um, there's no team that's playing with its hands tied more than D.C. United, I think, financially. 
Um, and that goes from, you know, that, that factors into everything, the academy all the way on up. So um, they, I just think it's not a very good team. And, you know, they're going to have to make some big changes at some point this season or next year in order to recover. But, um, yeah, I see San Jose cruising to a win in this one. Yep, yep. You might, you might want to have Chris Wondolowski on your fantasy team this week. Actually, I think it's too late to make your changes, so forget I said it. Last game of the week, Orlando City, Portland, another great one. This is going to be a heck of a game. Kaka's back. He's all excited to be back. They're at home, and they're playing a dangerous Portland team that could definitely put it on you. Uh, Orlando's attack should be improved with Kaka, but Portland's attack going up against Orlando's somewhat slow defense. I don't know, man. This one this one could go either way. How do you see it going? I agree. I, I could see this being like a 3-2, 4-3 game. It, you know, one of the most interesting results last year when I covered Orlando City was they went on the road to Portland and won, I think it was 3-0. And Kyle Lahren scored for his first professional goal, and everything went right. They played a 4-3-2-1 for the first time, which is what they've been playing this year, and things just clicked. Um, Portland is a much different team than when they played last April. And I think that um, we've yet to see Orlando City reach its full full potential, especially going forward. And obviously not having Kaká was a big part of that. So you throw him back in the mix. He's had a full week of training. Notorino has been training um, on and off. Um, I'm interested to see if he plays, um, but I, I think that uh, this is—I think this is one of the toughest ones to call. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two-two. Uh, I've picked too many away teams. I'm going to go with a two-two <laughs> draw. There's going to be a lot of goals, um, and and I, I agree. There's going to be at least one goal where somebody runs right through the middle of the back line for Orlando City and scores like a ridiculous goal. That's my one little prediction there. Yeah, that's a that, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. I, I think the cross country travel. We always have to factor that in. It, it always kind of hurts you. So Portland has to has to go all the way to Orlando. Kaká being back, I think he's going to make the difference for them in this one. Uh, I think, uh, as far as I know, I, th- I don't know if Liam Ridgewell is back yet. If he's back, that obviously helps Portland. But if he's not, I think you got to get. I'll go Orlando in this one. I think they're due for a win. And having Kaká back is big. I think he's going to step up, have a big one. Let's see what Kyle Lahren has in the tank after his international, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, Matt, 90 Matt minutes Canada. at Azteca, right? Yeah, I mean. man. So that 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 also plays a part. So, you know, maybe he only gives you 60 minutes, and and will that be enough if he has to, you know, battle with Nat Borchers for for the whole time? So it's going to be a tough one. But uh, I'm uh, if I go Portland, people will say I'm still a Portland homer. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go draw because you went draw. So I'm going to go Orlando. Orlando, Kaká with some magic. Kaká magic. We'll see a Kaká free kick, uh, at least one assist, and Orlando gets the 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 big win at home. So, uh, so that's it. That wraps up the week five slate. Uh, definitely glad to have you back on, and uh, it, we'll, we'll definitely bring you back on next week to, to cover it all. I know you're still settling into Chicago, uh, enjoying the warm weather in Chicago. A little un-Chicago-like weather there, right? It was going hey, on. Hey, man, we hit sixty degrees yesterday, and I was out there in my bathing suit, suntanning. All right, <laughs> there <it was> again. <laughs> everyone's got that visual now. I love it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man. No, th- thanks for thanks for coming on again, and we'll, we'll definitely have you next week. No, thanks for having me. And now with the NASL season about to kick off on Saturday, I had to bring on my man Ryan Tolmich, uh, SBI associate editor slash NASL beat writer. Uh, he's been working really hard to get our preview stuff uh, on SBI soccer uh, done. Uh, it, you definitely have to check that out. We have our team previews. We have players to watch. We have power rankings. We have we have everything that you need to get you ready for the upcoming NASL season, especially if you're kind of new to the league and you need you need some direction SBI is your place, and my man Tolmich is, is is on that case. So we have him here. Ryan, how you doing? 
Well, not too bad. It's been a, been a busy week kind of getting, getting everything together with the NASL, but uh should be a good season. Really looking forward to things. And uh, yeah, let's let's get going. Great, great. So, uh, you know, we, we, we obviously have to there's I'm sure there are people listening who maybe don't know much, much about the NASL, but maybe they want to learn about the NASL. So we're going to start off with I have to ask you, who are the teams, who are the two or three teams that, that you like as as real title favorites, as teams that really have a chance to win a championship? Now, look, looking at the league, there there are two teams that are kind of separate from everyone else, and those two teams are the New York Cosmos and Minnesota United, two teams that everybody should be fairly familiar with. Obviously, the Cosmos are coming off winning the title last year. They, they lose two guys in Raul and Marco Senna, but they bring in Nico Cranjar and Juan Arango, two guys who are more than worthy to kind of replace what those two have. But in addition to that, they bring in some other guys in, in MLS veterans like Gabriel Farfan, Michael Lahoud, Jairo Arrieta, you know, they... They bring in some guys that, that really provide some depth. And, and the one thing that they've always stressed is that they not only do they want to win in the NASL, but they also want to make that run in the U.S. Open Cup. And, and they bring in a lot of depth this year, and it looks like they're, they're really going all in on that after, after losing these last two years in, in really difficult ways. And now the other team is Minnesota United. They bring back Christian Ramirez, who, who for me is, is the best. They add Lance Lang, Stefano Pino. I, th- I think they have a pretty good team. Clear cut, those are the top two teams. Now, I, I definitely get your point about wanting to rank the Cosmos first because they are the defending champions. Uh, me personally, I think Minnesota. I like what they've done with that team, and and for me, I'm I'm putting them as number one right now. Obviously, the Cosmos they, they they're never afraid to spend money. They went and got one Arango. Let's see how much he has left in the tank. Nico Cranjar, I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank. I, I for me, I like Minnesota. Obviously, they have MLS potentially starting next year for them, so they're they're already planning ahead for that. I I, I tell you what, man, I like what they they've done. I'd say there's a third team in that conversation for the title and that's the Tampa Bay Rowdies. I, I really like what they've done. Uh, you know, they were a pretty good team last year. They had their ups and downs. They had the coaching change, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. getting rid of Thomas Rongen. But <clears throat> with some of the additions that they've made, uh, I, obviously Tom Heineman, if you remember last year, they, they their big issue was finishing. They couldn't finish their chances. They created chances. Freddie Adu, I think, could have had 10 assists last year in, in, the, in the fall season if they had finishers. And who do they bring in? Tom Heineman, one of the best finishers in the NASL. So, from that standpoint, I actually like Tampa Bay. I think they could be that surprise dark horse team to win it all. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, on the Tampa Bay bandwagon as well. Like you said, Tom Heineman's a guy that can that can really score goals. You know, he's a talented guy. He at times he he was really a star for Ottawa Fury last year. Obviously, in the playoffs, he he went off in those two games, and and he's a guy that should take that team to the next level. Another player they bring in Khalif Al Hassan. You know, former. MLS winger, a guy who, who maybe didn't do as well with Minnesota United as many expected, but he's a guy who can re- really bring it together for that team. And, and like you mentioned, Freddie Adu, you know, coming in and he, he's a guy that coming into this first full season that you got to expect a, even better from him. You know, like you said, he was he was a top playmaker last year and he's looked very good in preseason. I, I really expect Freddie Adu to be one of the best players in the league this year. Right. And I had a chance to talk to him, obviously, and uh did a big story on him during the winter, and and he really does sound focused and and committed to to making this a year that where he really breaks out. I mean, we saw flashes last year for sure, but he he had injury issues that he was dealing with, and and he was just kind of still getting acclimated to the league. And it sounds like he's really ready to to break out. And and it's it's interesting about Tampa Bay; they, they they've added some players that are definitely going to make for some competition for playing time. When you think about Khalif Al Hassan, they have Eric Avila, the MLS veteran, skilled player. He's coming in there. And now, obviously, there are reports of Joe Cole coming to Tampa Bay. And, and for what I'm hearing, that's going to happen, and it's going to happen in the summer. So whether that means he's going to be around for the fall campaign, uh, for the fall season, that all of a sudden you're talking about a lot of skilled players there. Uh, you wonder how they're going to fit all those pieces together. But I think I do agree with you. I think, I think, um, 
I think that the Freddie Adu is going to have. I think he's primed for a big year, especially with Heinemann there to finish the chances that they couldn't finish last year. Now, as far as the new teams go, um, obviously we have Rio OKC, mm-hmm. and we have Miami. Uh, as far as you've seen from these teams, uh, do you see them being being legit in year one, or do you see them really having struggles? What do you What do you see from the two new teams? Uh, in terms of those teams, I, for me at least, I think Rio OKC is a little a bit of a step ahead. Obviously, they they bring in. Giorgio Samaras and, and Robbie Finley to, and Derek Boateng, another World Cup veteran. They, they have five total World Cup veterans on that team. And, and I think Alan Marcina, a guy who's, who's been in the NASL before, who's won a title, you know, he's familiar with the league. I think they're just a step ahead. That Miami, for me, they, they have some talented players. Wilson Palacios, Dane Richard, you know, they, they bring in some, some good guys. But I think in terms of depth, I, I don't think they have the depth to really compete quite yet. And Alessandro Nesta, first-year head coach, one, one of the greatest defenders of all time. But I have to see how he is as a head coach before I could really jump on the Miami bandwagon quite yet. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think as far as the two teams go, I, I get the feeling Rio ha- has done a better job of putting a team together, at least from year one. Whereas Miami, it seems like it's a little bit more sizzled and stake there. Obviously, they have Nesta. Um, and a big question mark for me in Miami is, are they going to draw fans? And and that seems like a simple enough question, but um, it's not as if they've, they've, they've signed a superstar player to – bring in the masses or, or anything like that. So how, how are they going to draw people in Miami? And we all know about Miami and the struggles in Miami to, 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 to get those, those sports fans to come to games when there's so much other, so many other things to do in Miami. Uh, it's going to be a question for the Miami MLS team as well, but I'm not sold on this team. I'll tell you what, I think year one could be a bit of a disaster. I know they have the money. I know they have the ownership. I know they have the big name and at coach at Nesta, but I just don't know if that team is going to get, get it done on the field or off the field. So that's going to be a big question for NASL, especially because, you know, you, you you bring that team in, you want them to compete, you want them to plant their roots in before MLS comes along. And now it's looking like they're not going to have a ton of time to do that. So year one is huge for them. If they if they, if they they stumble out of the gate and they don't draw fans, that, that thing could get ugly pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think Miami is definitely in a in a bit of an uphill battle right now. Like you said, they they didn't get that international superstar. You know, the, it, it felt like all year you were just kind of waiting for them to bring in that big name that could really, you know, that that Raul type player that could really be their marketing guy, and it never really came. I mean, they have a few NASL veteran guys that that could really provide some experience on that team, but like I said, the depth just just isn't there for me. They have a lot of young guys, a lot of, a lot of guys who haven't really played at this level, and it'll be interesting to see how they all kind of gel, especially given that that's their first year together. As far as the teams go, there there are eleven teams in the league. For those who don't know about NASL, of the teams in the league, who do you see being the surprise? Who could be the surprise team in the league? I think it was last year. Ottawa was the the, the, the surprise team, or Fury FC, whatever. Who is the surprise team this year? Who do you see? You know, a lot a lot of people see Carolina as that uh, surprise team. You know, the Railhawks they they really loaded up. That I really like their defense. I re- I really like the signings of Simon Mensing and Paul Black. Those are those are two guys that, for the Silverbacks last year, were spectacular. And as much that went on with the Silverbacks, they they always had a very good defense. They were always one of the top defensive teams in the league. And and I think those two and that that defense as a whole is is a, a unit that could really carry this this Railhawks team. Now, did they make the push into the postseason? I don't know, but I think that they they will be a team that to kind of watch out for. I think they could pull off some upsets this year. Right, right. And, uh, and one team I've, I've always kind of been curious about is uh, Indiana. Uh, or Indy, I'm sorry, Indy 11. Uh, what's the story with them? Obviously, they, they've had their, they, they haven't really, the, the, the play on the field hasn't always matched up to the support in the stands. Uh, what do you see going on with them this year? 
Yeah, Indy's Indy's a unique case, obviously. In terms of off the field, they've really been spectacular. You know, they draw very well. They, they've really made an impact in the community. And it's just the on the field just hasn't been there. You know, they've struggled through these first two years. They, they made a move, new head coach and Tim Hankinson, a guy who's been in NASL. And they brought in three players and Ubi Parapovich, Falvey, and Patterson from from Ottawa Fury to kind of, you know, have some familiar, familiarity with also some new faces. You know, John Bush comes in in goal, but I, I don't know if they have that star to really push them into that next level. You kind of, you, you need a player to kind of take, take the game and, and make it their own, and they don't really have that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they gel as a unit. Right, and I, I, well, one player I think for me that, for them, uh, that stood out, and he's a player that I followed going back to his college days is Dylan Mares. Now, here's a guy really skilled, American midfielder, that kind of unique, uh, highly technical uh, American player. Uh, Brazil, he's got a bit of Brazilian background, but still, uh, he had a, he had a great year for them last year. Breakout. Um, do you see him ha- taking that next step? Could he be a best eleven type player this year? I think I think India has a few guys that could really make that jump. He's he's one of them, and then another one that that Hankinson really was high on was was Duke Lacroix, who's a, a talented winger that was who's really, I expect, to kind of break into that team. He says LaCroix is the one guy that really surprised him so far in the preseason. And, and I, I think as a winger, he's a guy that, that, that could really take people on, that could really you know be that playmaker, that creator out wide. And, and if anybody on that team that I think I see kind of making that jump, I think LaCroix is going to be the guy to kind of maybe turn some heads this year. Right. Now, as far as uh, new, new, of the newcomers, who are you most excited to, to watch play as far as the, the, player, the new players coming into MLS? Uh, you know, so there's a bunch of new guys coming in. Obviously, there's there's you get the superstars. You know, you get the Samarases, the the Arangos. You know, the, the Nico Cranjars. You get these guys coming in with a pedigree, and then there, there's some younger guys coming in that I'm also really excited to see. You know, Mateus Carvalho is the guy who who started for Monaco in the, in the Champions League last year. I'm really excited to see what he brings to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. You know, they have a really good looking Brazilian attacking unit. I'm excited to see Matt Fondi take the jump up. You know, he. He was spectacular last year with, with Louisville City. He was the best player in the USL, and I'm I'm interested to see how he kind of takes that jump up with the Armada. You know, some of the, some of the, those guys who maybe aren't getting as much attention. I, I really think that those those two guys in particular, I'm really excited to see kind of make the jump into those two new teams. All right, great. Well, that's it, and uh, we'll we'll have uh, we'll have Ryan on through the year to catch us up on NASL. And, and just to remind people, the NASL season is broken up into the spring into the fall, um, so. As we preview the season now, things can obviously change as teams add players in the in in between the spring and the fall seasons. As I mentioned earlier about Tampa Bay, uh, uh, they're expected to sign a, a Joe Cole. So if they if they do add him, obviously that's a big boost. And if some other teams like a Minnesota, uh, if they add if they add some some pieces in the in the in between the spring and the fall, we could see things shake up a little differently in the second half of the full season. But uh, definitely, Ryan, thanks for joining us, and we'll. Well, well, like I said before, we'll have you. We'll have you on again. Uh, so definitely keep your eye out. And one last thing we have to talk about before I let you go is mm-hmm. uh, the TV deals. NASL has struck some TV deals. Uh, BN Sports, uh, CBS Sports, they've kept the deal with ESPN three to have their games there. So that uh, uh, so many more options now for people to watch NASL because I know a lot of people will say, "Oh, I can't see the games. Like I, I can't get into it because I can't watch the games. I'm not going to watch them online." Now you can watch games on on tv and how how big do you see that being for the league yeah i think starting with the bn deal i think the bn sports deal is going to be very big you know you get you know i, I believe they have that seven o'clock time slot you know right in, right in that area on saturdays you know you get the rollover from the from the la liga games the Serie A games and 
And I think that'll be big for them in terms of exposure, in terms of getting getting eyes on the product. You know, obviously the NASL hasn't had that TV presence. I think that'll be very big. And then CBS Sports, that's a, that's another channel that's, that's in a lot of homes. Obviously, it's not necessarily a national network, but but getting these games on TV and, and getting people's eyes on it, it, it's big. You know, obviously this league's still looking for the exposure. Obviously, American soccer as a whole is still looking for exposure. And I, I think it, it could only do do good things for the league to kind of promote it and get that TV presence going. And for those and for those who aren't aware, the, as I said earlier, the season kicks off on Saturday, and the first BN Sports match uh, of their of the season for them will be Fort Lauderdale against Miami. So you get to see what Miami is all about right away against their rival to the north, I, the I ninety the 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 Florida I ninety five derby kicking off Fort Lauderdale against Miami. So everyone keep an eye out for that. So once again, thanks Ryan. Uh, thanks for Ryan for joining us. And he'll be with us uh, throughout the year as well. Just keep keeping us up to date on the latest in the NSL. Well, we've covered a bunch of topics uh, on this episode of the SBI show. There's still so much more to get into, uh, but we're obviously going to try to not keep the show, for, keep the show from being uh, three hours long. Uh, I'll wrap it up. Last topic uh, before we wrap up, the U.S. women's national team is obviously uh, made big headlines uh, in the last couple of days after uh, after uh, uh, filing a, a complaint for uh, against U.S. soccer for unfair compensation. Uh, the the allegations are basically that the U.S. women's national team aren't being paid what they should be paid by U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer is refuting that. Uh, so we're we're looking like we're looking like we're in for a real a real battle there between the two sides and. I think I think it's it's obvious that everyone would like to see the U.S. women get paid what they deserve to get paid, and what's gonna ha- what's basically gonna have to be figured out now by the U.S. government is just what constitutes fair pay for the women. I know, and it's interesting to see the battle lines already being drawn on this. Uh, you have you have the one side which is definitely like yes, let's give the women everything they deserve. Let's give them uh, they should they deserve more than the men. Uh, look at what the, the money they've made off of the World Cup. Uh, then obviously you have the other side, the the, the other ex- side, the extreme other extreme of it, which is uh you know the the women's game doesn't really produce money, uh, it's misleading. The the women's World Cup it's an anomaly. It's not it, this isn't going to be every every single year, uh where the women are producing money. So how how does that how does that break out as being really fair? Uh, so I I mean for me, the reason I think it's you always have to kind of be be careful is that does anyone really know how much money we're talking about? I know some people like to pretend they do. I know some people will point to point to graphics and charts and, and 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 projections and estimations for what just what the revenue is for the women's team as compared to the men's team. The U.S. government's going to sort this all out. Hopefully, right? Hopefully, they get the information they need. Hopefully, they figure it out and 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 we we see the U.S. women uh, get a level of compensation that they that they deserve. And and when you look at it on its surface. Absolutely, it looks like the U.S. women are not making what they should be making. When you look at it on the surface, and you see the the comparisons between what what the women make compared to what the what the men's team makes, it, it doesn't look like it's it's not even close. But yet, there seems to be evidence to suggest that you know what the revenue is close. So if the revenue is close, then the pay should be close, right? I mean, I think that's a pretty it's a pretty fair statement if those things are true. But we need to figure that out, uh, or the U.S. government needs to figure that out, and they need, and need to find out. Uh, all the specific details on just how much money there is, who's really bringing in the revenue, and how much the revenue is. And once you establish that, then then it's easy to say, okay, well, the U.S. women consistently bring in X amount of money over time. They should be making Y because look at the men over course of time they get paid, and they get paid Y. So right now the women make a lot less than the men. So it's up to the government to figure out is that fair or not. 
we will find out. Uh, I just feel like people need to be a little more uh, patient about it. Not patient, but that's not even the word. The, it, it, me, wait for the details because the true facts of the whole thing. And I feel like a lot of people are playing fast and loose with what is out there and treating, you know, treating estimations as fact. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm not even going to pretend to be an expert, but I know I've tried, I've tried to read as much of it as I can and looking at it all. And I just, when you look at it, kind of try to step, take a step back and look at it all. It's hard to say that we know for a fact what the numbers are. And maybe once we do know what the numbers are, we'll have a better understanding. But on the surface, absolutely. It looks like the women are not getting paid anywhere close to what they should be getting paid, but we need to find out if that's actually the case. Uh, and 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 we'll see we'll see what happens there hopefully it gets resolved because we, it's it's ugly you don't want to you don't want to see a battle between a national team and its federation especially they're the world champions you know they should be you should be celebrating them supporting them uh and and, and vice versa the feder- the team should be at odds with the federation but you know what it's a negotiate at the end of the day this feels like it's it's just a negotiations right it's a negotiations and now the, the US women clearly see Leverage. They they see themselves having leverage, and this is a perfect opportunity to inf- enforce that leverage with the Olympics on the horizon and all the kind of money that's that's awaiting there when the Olympics take place. There's a lot of money on the line here, so uh, we'll see. And 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 if uh, the hopefully the hope is, and I think everyone can agree that the hope is the U.S. women end up being paid what they deserve. The question is. How much is that exactly? And I don't know if anybody knows. I maybe I feel like a lot of people are pretending they know, but we'll find out. So that's it for the SBI show. I know a very long episode. Apologies to all you. Hopefully you, you learned something. Hopefully it was entertaining. Uh, th- I definitely want to thank Paul Tenorio for coming on and Ryan Tomich for coming on to give us the breakdowns on MLS and NESL. Great weekend. And I didn't even mention El Clasico, Barcelona Real Madrid taking place at Barcelona at the Camp Nou. Uh, so, I mean, talk about a great weekend. So much to watch. Uh, hopefully you find time in everything to have listened. If you're listening, that means you did listen, have find time to listen. So thank you for finding time to listen. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Hopefully we'll get my man Garrett Cleverly back on. Uh, he keeps, uh, we, we keep struggling to find time to, to get together. But we will have Garrett on soon to get him back on for our reunion because it's already been too long. But we'll keep an eye out for that. And, 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 and we'll be back Monday or Tuesday. I don't know yet which day. Definitely by Tuesday, hopefully Monday. For the next episode. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is the SBI Show. Let's get this. Let's get this.